Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast with your host, Nick McArdle. And what a week it has been in rugby. Wow, an uh, incredible week since last Wednesday night. Uh, welcome to the Fox Rugby Podcast. A lot to talk about. Christy Doran and Sam Worthington are here from foxsports.com.au and we will be joined by Will Genia shortly, the Melbourne Rebels and Wallabies scrum half, and I'm sure he's got a bit to say about the Israel Folau saga. But um, firstly, the news in the last couple of hours that, uh, that Israel has decided to, to challenge the uh, code of conduct and uh, and will go to a hearing. Comes as no surprise, really, does it that um, that that he's challenging it? We I think we that was signalled last Friday, really, when he met with Rupa and then with Rayland Castle, and that therefore was a, a pretty big indication that he's going to meet with rugby officials and therefore explore his options going forward. Yeah, well, he's uh, you know it's obviously in God's will to to go to a con- code of conduct uh, hearing. We ne- never know quite what. Israel's next step might be whether he's going to announce something on social media, whether he's going to pack it all in, and, and um, you know he's he's said that he will be quite happy away from rugby if it comes to that. But uh, yeah, clearly he's going to fight for his career, fight for his contract, which he you know has every right to do, I suppose. Although he he has made some comments last year to the to the contrary that he would would walk away um, if he was damaging the game, which I, I think quite clearly he now is. So we are recording uh, this podcast on Wednesday afternoon. So uh, from here on in, there's uh, 48 hours uh, to decide an independent chair for that committee. Uh, a Rupa representative will sit there and uh, a Rugby Australia representative will sit there. And as we understand it, from the time that uh, that, that is formed there will be uh, five days to come up with uh, with an adjudication uh, to the issue and, and then we'll know Israel Folau's future. The case that this has been paralleled with uh, or, or compared to um, was the Kirtley Bill hearing a couple of years ago when Bill Pulver uh, sent it to uh, a code of conduct hearing and, and I think the expectation at the time was that Kirtley was going to be sacked and that was the whole Di Patson uh, situation where uh, he sent an image to to the rest of the team, um, and didn't happen. Didn't come out like that. And in fact, uh, he he was fine, but certainly his contract wasn't torn up. So there's a, a and, danger. And, and a coach shortly after well, that's right resigned. Yeah. So there, there is a a danger in all of this um, for. Uh, Rugby Australia if it, if it doesn't go the way that they foresee it going. Yeah, there's, there's so many uncertainties in this. Uh, I mean, obviously the makeup of that panel is going to be crucial and what, what the outcome is, is going to be. And because there's no specific, it's not a black or white issue, there's no social media clause component to Israel's contract. So this this is this is going to fall into greyer areas, isn't it, um, from, a I guess, a legal perspective for when, when they go through it with a fine-tooth comb? There was, that's right, there was no um, uh, code of conduct or, or, or social media clause, sorry, in, in his contract. But Rugby Australia, um, as I understand it, still believes that uh, they're on reasonably solid ground because they will argue that Israel uh, breached really the, the standard uh, player code of conduct. It didn't require, from their point of view, it didn't necessarily require yeah. uh, a special uh, clause in his contract. There is that that standard player and code the, of conduct. And the fact that he had spoken to both the Rugby Australia CEO, the New South Wales Rugby CEO, with Michael Checker, and there's 
documented evidence showing that it was very clearly spelled out what the expectations are or were for, for Israel Folau going forward before he signed his four-year deal back in February. Yeah, and Raylene has said that she's got some actual physical evidence of, of you know, maybe transcriptions of those meetings and, and what Israel had agreed to. So, yeah, it really is quite an extraordinary case. There's nothing quite like it in world sport and it certainly has made it made headlines around the world because it's got enormous ramifications for um, whether you deem it as a freedom of speech as issue whether I think Israel is going to claim religious persecution that's going to come into it um, and then and then just a straight up employment contract between um, an, an athlete and his employer so just so many moving parts uh, to all of this and I, I don't know if I don't know if Raylene Castle and company are going to get uh, too many good nights of sleep uh, as we await this hearing. Clearly Raylene Castle and Rugby Australia wanted to get on the front foot they, they signaled their intent very early like just a, a couple of hours after the posts on both Instagram and Twitter that uh, they issued a, a brief statement saying that it, you know they were very disappointed immediately and then 24 hours after that post they signaled their intent to unless for extreme mitigating circumstances that they would be um, intent on terminating his contract so the wording around that was very strong from the outset it's it's quite extraordinary that but it, it also painted them like that, that they they pushed themselves very firmly in that basket that there was that was what was going to happen and and if that doesn't, well, clearly it's, it will reflect, you would think, poorly on her leadership if they can't get Israel Folau out of Australian rugby. Yeah, I think un- unquestionably this is going to be the defining uh, moment incident of Raylene Castle's uh, tenure with Rugby Australia. It's such a huge case. And, and uh, do you yeah. really do you really think that that's the case that it that it could make or break her? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, whether or not it costs her a job in the foreseeable future, I'm not sure about that. But I think clearly the magnitude of this, um, the attraction that it's created, that this is going to be the thing that she's remembered for. Um, she, she's, as you said, Christy, she's drawn her line in the sand. Um, and whether or not she can actually now follow through with a, a clean break from from Israel, um, if she doesn't get that, then it's it, it, that is going to reflect mm. poorly, and she's going to have a huge can of worms to to then clean up. Well, part- Part of that can of worms could be that, um, you know, say, for example, the, the tribunal, the independent tribunal, uh, decides not to sack Israel but instead, you know, smacks him with a, a fine or a suspension or or possibly both. Um, it's got to be hard to see him playing rugby for Australia again considering what Michael Checker said about the, the fact that he wouldn't, he wouldn't pick him if he was still coach and Michael Hooper saying that it would be difficult to take the field with him. Um, so... Would that mean that we're heading for a, some sort of settlement or or maybe, you know, pay out the whole contract if that was to happen? He's in the, the first year of a, a four-year deal reportedly worth a million dollars a year. Is, is is that an option if if Rugby Australia don't get the outcome from the tribunal that they're looking for? Yeah, well, only Israel and his uh, management team will know what their motivations are. But, yeah, that's clearly, I'd, I'd say, one of the things on, on the table uh, if they realise that, hey, you've done so much damage that you can't actually take the field again um, for the Wallabies. I, I can't see it. Whatever whatever happens here, I can't see him representing the national team again. Maybe in, in extreme circumstances he'd, he'd find his way back to the Waratahs, but I can't see him representing the national team anymore. Um, um, but yeah, like like you say, this could cost Rugby Australia either way, couldn't it? If if uh, if it's deemed that they have to pay out some of his contract just to to make this problem go away, so to speak. It, the, the the difficulty as well is is the fact that it's not just whether or not he takes field, it, uh, takes takes the park. It's it's the financials, the dollars that 
you know, this could really stricken uh, Rugby Australia going forward. Clearly, the, the, they got rid of the Western Force because they had no money. Um, you know, the Western Force were, were costing them, or any Super Rugby side was costing them $6 million a year. And here we've got big sponsors like Qantas that are thinking about, uh, you know, if their CEO, Alan Joyce, openly gay, whether or not they reflect the inclusive values that, that Qantas want to hold. So it goes beyond just Israel Falau. It goes it goes straight to the, the, the sustainability of Australian rugby. Well, and... And more so Australian rugby at grassroots level. I think it was Wayne Smith in The Australian made the point that, you know, professional players are still going to get paid. Uh, if there's, if there's you know, money to be saved, where is it going to be saved? It's going to be saved uh, through, you know, coaching and, and grassroots support. And, and that's probably the saddest thing out of all of That would be a disaster. Yep. Yeah. All of that. Uh, comes with with the caveat that it is speculation and we're not really going to know how this plays out uh, until that tribunal sits and and we get some sort of result there. So the next uh, week or so will be absolutely um, fascinating for what really is one of the biggest stories or if not the biggest story of the professional era in Australian rugby. Um, Why don't we have a chat with uh, Melbourne Rebels scrum half and, uh, and one of our outstanding Wallabies get his views on it. Listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Will Genia, welcome to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Thanks for having me, mate. Appreciate it. Uh, good to catch up with you. So much to talk to you about uh, a bit of uh, on field stuff in just a moment, but also a bit of off field stuff. And I guess you've been asked about Israel Folau everywhere you've gone over the last week or so. I want to ask you about. Um, Michael Hooper's comments a couple of days ago and uh, with Hoops saying that he would find it you know, very difficult to take the field with Izzy as it stands. Um, how do you feel about all of that? W- would you play with Israel Folau again? Mate, to be honest with you, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, Czech always talks about, uh, in terms of being a part of that Wallaby group at the moment, that it's about different people coming together with different beliefs uh, from different backgrounds and different upbringings and things like that. So... Um, one part of that is understanding that we do all come from different parts of the world. We all have our different beliefs. But I think from Israel's perspective, he's also got to understand that he's a, being a part of that team, he's a part of those beliefs as well. And I think he, he can have every right to believe in the things that he wants to and uh, have faith in the things that he wants to have faith in. But he's got to realise that there are other people within that group, both at the Waratahs and at the Wallabies, that have certain beliefs as well that you know very much conflict with what he's come out and said and what he's done. So... I certainly think that it makes it a bit uncomfortable for people uh, within both those teams and in both those environments to uh, sort of relate to him and moving forward, maybe even play with him, you know. So it, it makes it difficult, I think, from a personal level. Um, I'm pretty conflicted about it because obviously I haven't spoken to him since everything has happened. The, the Israel that I know that I see every day in, day out when I've been in Wallaby environments and camps and whatnot, he's just he's, he's a lovely guy. He's very humble, very quiet. Uh He's very giving of his time to his teammates, to people in general. So um, for him to have come out and obviously said and done the things that he's done, uh, as I said, makes it pretty uncomfortable for a lot of people. Yeah, when you were with them in Wallabies camp last year after there was the initial um, drama with, with the social media stuff, did, did you personally talk to him? Was it addressed within the team um, about you know being respectful and, and, and getting all that stuff out in the open? Not particularly. I mean, I think it was obviously addressed 
uh, by Rugby Australia, by Czech. I mean, Czech made a point of talking about. It, I think when we got together as a group, uh, when I, from what I can remember, but we all sort of figured that it was dealt with and it was done, and we wanted to move on with playing footy. So there wasn't too much from from me anyway, individual conversation about it. Well, uh, clearly you're from PNG, um, or your background is anyhow. How do you think this will, um, it, hypothetically, if, if Israel, whatever, which way this decision um, comes about from the Code of Conduct hearing, do you, do you see, how, how do you see the team reacting from this? Because as you said, people will have different thoughts and feelings and you're conflicted at the moment about how you're thinking about it. So do you think it has the potential to divide or cause a, a rift in the side? Well, one thing I will say is I'm not conflicted from the from the point of view that what he did was wrong. I firmly believe what he did was wrong and how, how he messaged what he put out there was wrong. You can't be going around spreading hate and telling people they're going to go to hell. You can have your beliefs and, and have faith in what you want to have faith in, but you can't go around trying to tell people they should be going to hell because they are a certain way. That For me, that's completely wrong. So I, I certainly don't have any conflicting issues with that. I think, um, yeah, look, I, th- I think it certainly makes it – it will make it uncomfortable – um, whatever the situation is, if he comes back into the teams or if he doesn't come back into the teams. But to be honest, moving forward from a rugby perspective, we've certainly got talent within the country to to cope with without Israel. You know, we've got Daniel Petty who can play play fullback, Jack Maddox who can play fullback, and um, you've got to be able to trust those guys if they've given the, given the opportunity as well to play. So um, I think we'll be fine without him. Um, but purely from a rugby perspective, like when you're just talking rugby and you take out absolutely everything else, which I know you can't, but any team with Israel is going to be better with better better with him in it. Um, you almost sound like you have a problem with what's happened on a couple of different levels. Obviously, what what he said, and you've made it clear that you don't agree with, and and few do uh, agree with with what he said. But also the fact is there a breach of trust here, Will? Because he's he's obviously looked at Michael Checker, um, looked him in the eye, and said, "This won't happen again. I, I can't do this to the team again." This was after the first that happened last year. He's also, you know, shaken Raylene Castle's hand and. And said, I, I won't do that again. Understand that you know it was the wrong thing from a team perspective, and he's and he has done it again. So, from the players' point of view, is, is there a breach of of trust here as well? I mean, yeah. If you've gone and said those things to Check and Raylene, there's a breach of trust, and I guess, guess there's an element of selfishness about it as well. I mean, you can have your beliefs, right? But at the end of the day, you're also contracted to uh, Rugby Australia and the New South Wales Waratahs who as your employers stand for certain things within society, who, who want to promote the game a certain way, obviously being all inclusive of gender, sexual preference, religion, background, whatever it might be. So when you sign up to your contract to do that, you, you, you adhere to those rules. You adhere to those um, what's been set out before you by those two organisations. And I think on top of that, the fact that he's gone and said that he wouldn't do such things and, um, and say any more about what he did last year, I think he's obviously broken a bit of trust Within um, with Raylene and obviously with Czech. And I know that Czech is someone who respects him massively. He's got a lot of time, a lot of love for him and supports him all, has supported him all the way through. So um, I know that he'll be very, very disappointed with everything that's happened for sure. Um, so Rugby Australia have uh, indicated that they want to tear up his contract. Um, and Israel, uh, just today, just a few hours ago, uh, he said that he wants it to go to a, a code of conduct, a code of conduct hearing. Um, that will happen in the next five or six days once they put that committee together. Um, so there's still some water to go under the bridge. But 
as a senior player in the Wallabies, have you uh, resigned yourself to the fact that you will not play with Israel Folau again or, or you're highly unlikely to play another test match with Israel Folau? I think so. I mean, I, I don't think that I'll get the opportunity to play with him again, definitely, just because you can't see it going – you can't see things eventuating where he will, he will play again. I mean, based on the comments that Czech has made, based on the stance that Rugby Australia has taken and obviously based on what the skipper has come out and said as well. Um, they all seem to stand pretty firmly – behind the fact that he won't be here and that being the right decision. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm probably resigned to the fact that I won't play with him again. Can the Wallabies win the World Cup without Izzy, do you think, Will? And secondly, will you have to change the way that you play the game a fair bit? Obviously, his strengths in the air are uh, very unique. Mate, we can definitely win the World Cup without him. And that's no, I'm not being, trying to be disrespectful by saying that. I just have a lot of confidence in us as a playing group and the players that we have at the moment. Uh, but in terms of changing the way that we we play, I don't, I don't think we utilised his strength in the air as well as we possibly could have in his time in the game thus far. I mean, you see the Waratahs started to do it this season, the last couple of rounds. But as a, within the Wallaby setup, we probably didn't utilise it as, as much as we could have. So it's not as though we're you know, we're going to miss out on that so much if that makes sense because we didn't make the most of it when we had it. I mean, he made his playing ability, like, he's phenomenal. The fact that he scored, he will score you tries that 90% of players in the world won't. He will always attract two or three defenders. He'll always beat two or three defenders, look for the offload. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal rugby player. So, like I said, I back every, anyone else who comes in to take his position, but at the same time, you, you always know that if you're going to have a guy like him in the team, you're going to be better for it. And I'm just going to be honest about that because it's easy to kick him while he's down and say, oh, we don't need you. You know, we, we'll be better off without you, like other people have come out and said, but I don't think that that's true. Uh, well, you, you earlier mentioned uh, Dane Hallett-Petty, Jack Maddox, two of your teammates, as someone that could replace him at, at fullback, and clearly they've already played on the wing, and, and Dane has already played it pullback for the Wallabies too. Um, so th- those couple of guys, how, how did how did they react to the news? Because I'm sure there's an element of going, well, it's, it's possibly actually just helped my World Cup chances. Has there, has there been much talk within the Rebels camp about Israel? Mate, you probably have to ask those guys individually uh, if they probably were happy about what's transpired because of their World Cup chances. I can't actually speak on that. But I think more than anything, obviously, the conversation has just been about what's happened, why it's happened, and how, as individuals, they feel about it more than anything else. It hasn't so much been about rugby or, you know, Dan, I'm going to play or Jack's going to play or whatever it is. Sure. I imagine it's been a bit of a godsend being in Melbourne um, where it might be a little bit different to being in, in Sydney or, or Queensland <laughs> where, you, you know, everywhere you go there's probably questions about it. Have you been able to escape it a little bit? Mate, we've escaped a lot of it. I went and had coffee um, at a cafe just around the corner from home and opened up the paper and it was the tiniest little section, I think <laughs> 10 pages in on the sports section. So uh, we're, definitely, mate, we're definitely escaping the brunt of it. Uh, not a bad thing, I would imagine. Um, let's talk uh, some on-field stuff now. You, you guys have got a really big game coming up against the Waratahs and uh, it's big because having dropped that game against, uh, against the Stormers, um, the Tars are still within striking distance. So you could have cleared out the other night, missed the opportunity. Um, did you move on pretty quickly after that? Yeah, we did. I mean, we were pretty disappointed, pretty embarrassed by that performance. I think more than anything, we just didn't turn up. We were all 
I mean, it happens throughout the season because it is, I guess, quite a long season. There's times where you get flat and usually the good teams you expect to win even when they're not playing well, when they're flat. And we really let ourselves down there. So it's pretty disappointing. But um, I think the best thing about this week is we've learned from those mistakes and we know that we have a buy after this week so we can pour absolutely everything into it. Uh, and we know it's going to be a really, really tough tough game because the Waratahs are a very good team. They, a lot of the times they tend to start slowly, but once they click into gear, they can play some really, really good footy. Yeah, they came home with a wet sail last year, didn't they? Um, just one quick one. I'll let the other guys jump in in a moment. But I, I was really surprised um, straight after the game the other night. We were chatting and your reaction and you were like, oh, well, we know we're a good team. Yes, we play badly tonight, but uh, we just got to move on. That kind of game can bob up throughout the season, and that was like your one for the season, so let's get on with it. You you weren't too uh, destroyed by that performance. Can you talk about that mentality about just, you know, leaving it and getting on with things? Well, I think the thing is, is like if, if you know that you're a good team and you play badly, you can take comfort in the fact that you just had a bad night, you just had an off night. Um, and, and that happens. Like, that's just rugby. Like I was saying before, sometimes you turn up and you're just incredibly flat, and that's just human nature. That's just life. You can be flat at your job and you don't do a good job or whatever that might be, and it just seemed that we were quite flat. So for me, I certainly take confidence in the fact that I know we're a good team because we can play some really good rugby. We just had a bad night. Yeah. And I think also – oh, sorry, you go. No, 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 don't keep continue, Will. No, no, and, and also the other thing is this – at the end of the day, it's I probably got a bit more perspective and a bit more balance in my thinking than a lot of my other teammates were probably a little bit younger. Is that, man? It's just a game. You, you win, you lose. You, you take your learnings from either a win or a loss, and then you just try to get better for the next week. Well, uh, wise words there from a, a wise head. Um, it wasn't always like that. You would have been filthy <laughs> no, a mate, few it, years it ago. <laughs> it wasn't. I'd take it with me like for the next four or five days. And, <laughs> Yeah, struggle. Well, um, Dave Vessels, I think uh, early in the first half, Fox crossed to him and he said that one of the big things that they were struggling with the Rebels was uh, they were losing the the collision and and not quite getting, you know, the quick ball that you wanted. Upon reflection and and on the Monday when you do the review, was that what was the reason why? Like, I know that the enthusiasm and being flat is what you've been talking about. Was, but was it a the tactics you didn't quite get right or did it simply come down to just not doing what you guys intended to do well enough? I think it was a technical issue. I mean, a game is, seems to be quite simple in that it's flat and fast and we like to attack probably the same way more than more than most teams. But, like, it's there's a lot of technical stuff around the actual contact parts of our games that we're that require a lot of detail. And I think when we went and reviewed it, we, we were really poor in those areas, whether it was the, the ball carry initially and then the contact work afterwards in the breakdown to ensure that we got quick ball. I think we were very, very poor technically in that area. And um, it was a big part of our – it's been a big part of our focus in terms of our training week um, this week, just as far as um, the details around it, but then also bringing that intensity to it. Because we know that if we do that and we get some quick ball, we can catch teams – we can catch teams off with that flat, fast attack. Well, a lot of uh, people saying that this is one of your best seasons right up there with your 2011 form. Um, firstly, do you agree with that? And then secondly, what do you put that down to, that this run of good form? Is it having Quade next year? Is it, is it a combination of factors? Well, I, I actually, man, I feel like I'm playing better than I ever have. Then, I mean, I look back at 2011 and, um, you know, around like, say, for example, 10, 11, 12 and 13 or whatever, whatever it is, I, I feel like in the last few years, you know, 17, 18, 19, I feel like I've played better footy than I've had in my entire life, my entire footy career, um, because I feel like I just know the game more 
but also know my game more. And I just have complete confidence and trust and faith in my game and in my abilities. And I still work as hard as I ever have, have ever have. And I think I'm also just really enjoying it. You start to realize that um, you're going to have to finish at some point. So there's no point sweating on the the little things, the losses or the wins or um, you're getting caught up in like the politics of the game, whether it's at your own club or rugby straight, whatever it might be. You know what I mean? I just, I'm really enjoying the game for what it is. And that's certainly made a difference to, you know, the way that I've been playing. And also, Coming to Melbourne has been really good for me. I think just reinvigorating um, my passion for being around just good people. You know, like the club that we have here is just made up of such good people that that want to be successful, that want to work hard, and there's no egos. There's you know, there's nothing that stands in the way of us wanting to work hard and achieve our goal of success. Mate, what can you tell us uh, about your own contract negotiations, mate? I think you've uh, made, it, <laughs> made it pretty clear that you, in an ideal world, you'd love to stick around for a while. You're enjoying life in Melbourne, but are you, yeah, op- optimistic that you can get a, a deal done to stick around? Oh, mate, I'd like to. I mean, I was speaking to Rugby Australia December last year, January, February, March, so it's probably a little, more, a little bit more complicated than what I'd like. But um, I, I don't know at this stage. I don't know. That's all I can say. <laughs> what what makes those things complicated, Will? In a in a situation like without without going without going into <coughs> too much and giving too much away, um, just uh, I'm interested to know from an outsider's point of view, what, what are the sort of things that really complicate matters? Well, I think for someone like me, for example, like the, the, there's the there's the idea that if I stay, um, whether I'll be able to perform at the elite level and justify me holding my place from a top-up perspective, but also from a performance perspective, uh, and then allowing a transition period for guys who are going to come in and eventually take my position as well. Um, they've got to weigh all that up in terms of a financial, from the financial perspective and then from a squad perspective and, and everything else that goes into it. So I can definitely see that it's a difficult thing from Rugby Australia's point of view. Uh, but... For me, it was always quite simple. I, I wanted to stay. I went to the, like I said, in December, January, February, um, and it's sort of all coming to a head to a head at, at pretty, pretty quickly. So we'll just, I'm sure I'll probably have to make a decision pretty soon. And uh, this weekend against the Tars, um, what effect do you think the Israel saga will have on the way they uh, aim up? They're coming off the bye, so they'll be fresh. Do you think it will have any effect on? Uh, what they come with on, on Saturday night? I think, firstly, it's obviously going to be a distraction. We'd all be lying, and they'd all be lying if they said it wasn't. But things like that, I think, also have the effect of galvanising a group and, and sort of giving them a different type of focus because they get together and they say, look, let's block out everything else. Let's just concentrate on the game. And um, So I feel like it, it, it is a distraction, but I think it, it can also work in, in a way of galvanising their focus and making sure they're very, very switched on for the game come Saturday. And that's as as a Rebels team. That's definitely what we're expecting come come game time. Yeah, well, Daryl Gibson and Michael Hooper spoke about that on Monday. Certainly, um, there, there's another there's a there's a mouth watering uh, challenge there in the tens between Quade Cooper and Bernard Foley. Uh, is is this something that you look forward to also watching about how those two go about their business? Because I'm sure Quade's itching to to get at it and and play well. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes, probably more in hindsight after the game. But um, for now, like, for me, I just, I've always hated the Waratahs, so I'm just looking forward to beating them. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not thinking about personal matchups or individual matchups or anything like that. 
Uh, it's always a big game when you come up against the Tars. So um, I'm sure other people have different focuses. I know maybe Quaid might be thinking about things like that. But uh, one thing I will say is that battle between the two teams will be very crucial in terms of um, either side getting the result, getting the win. There's a couple of would-be wallaby scrum halves who might be nipping at your heels as well. So uh, that's that's something to look forward to. Mate, that's, that's what I've been told all year. So, <laughs> well, that's right. I look, I look I look forward to whenever I have to play the Aussie teams. Don't worry about that. Yeah, that'll that, that'll keep you on edge. Um, and the corresponding game last year, well, um, I think you guys were leading twenty nil or something like that. It was it was. Don't talk about it. Yeah, give nightmares. And uh, <laughs> and then it was uh, it was all one way traffic. With the Tars, is that sort of result, although it's a year ago, does that figure in uh, in the build-up to these games or, or is it more nah, about mate, this week? Not at all. Uh, I think when, when you look back at that game, we were dominating that first half, but what they did really well in the second half was they adjusted their tactics very, very well. They had, obviously, the big Israel Folau. What they did in the second half was just put up high bombs on him. And I think a couple of times he, he, he caught it one runaway try, then the other time caught it offloaded to another try. Um and they, they, they adjusted their tactics really, really well and it obviously got them the win and a big win. But, no, I mean, we, we're just concentrated on what we've seen from them this year so far throughout the competition and and then more than anything, just trying to fix up areas of our game because we know we, we have complete faith in the fact that if we play well, we can beat any team. Absolutely. Uh, and, Will, before we, we let you go, Monday night, James Hallwill, your former teammate and another proud Queenslander, uh, made the announcement that he's going to hang up the boots at, at season's end when he finishes time with Harlequins. Look, someone he's someone you know very, very well. Um, how how will you remember James Hallwell, Big Kev? I remember Big Kev as a very, very proud Queenslander. He was so passionate about representing Queensland, wearing that jersey. Uh, and for someone who was around for such dark periods um, with, with the Queensland Reds to have seen him, help transition that club from you know cellar dwellers to super rugby champions and to have him hold that trophy aloft and yell and scream and everything like that was incredibly special and he was a very passionate man about uh, within all the teams that he played for as within the wallabies the reds uh and obviously at the harlequins as well you, you can just see by the fact that he's their club captain that he's gone over then made a big impact on the people around him and um I read about it the other. I think it was yesterday, and it made me pretty sad thinking that he's going to hang him up because I've always had great respect for him as a person and as a player. And one thing I will say is he can be very proud of his career. He's, he's had an amazing career and he's done it all, and I'm so happy for him. Could, could the Reds clearly the team of eleven with yourself and and Quaid and Rod Davies, Digby Uwani, um, There was so much attacking flair there that brought the crowds in in Brisbane. But having a leader like James, do you think uh, the Reds could have been as successful with without him? Uh, what I will say about James is he brought good balance. I think, as you said, there like you had a lot of guys in that team who had a lot of flair and X factor and. Um, you know, had pers- big personalities. What James had was very stable, um, calming presence and influence on the group. And he, he had the ability to understand his teammates really well. He'd get around to blokes and make sure they felt like they were being heard or felt, felt comfortable, um, felt like they were getting what they needed from a rugby perspective, then off the field, all those sorts of things. And he was certainly a big contributing factor to us winning that competition that year, no doubt, off the field as much as on. There was a photo on Instagram, and I think it was you and, and James and Ollie Richardson, who was your S&C up there at the time. And I think, is Ollie in Japan 
now, Will? I, I yeah, think it, yeah. yeah, he's in Japan, yeah. And so it, it, I saw that and it made me think, gee, how quickly in professional rugby things move on. So, you know, Kev's been over in England and you had that time in France and now in Melbourne and, and Ollie in Japan. It's um, little moments of glory like 2011 are, are very fleeting, aren't they? They're like little windows and then everybody just goes off in their own direction. It's, it was a, a real moment in time. Mate, it's crazy. It, it goes so quickly. I was having coffee with uh, a couple of younger blokes. They're all like 21, 22. And I was, we got to talking about stuff like that. And I said, boys, it goes real quickly. So make sure you enjoy being in every single moment, every situation that you're in, because at the click of your fingers, you'll be 31, 32, 33, giving the game away. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, like, you, you always remember things like that. Uh, and you always enjoy the success that you've had. And I think more than anything, like one thing, like I was saying about James, is you enjoy being around the people that you're around more than anything else. You always remember the people. You always remember the good times you shared together in the change rooms as opposed to big wins, uh, winning winning games and particular moments in games. You just remember the people. That's why uh, reunions are, are so good in, in years to come. Will, thanks very much for having a chat with us. Really appreciate it. And uh, have a good one against the Tars. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Good to catch up with Will Genier and uh, some fairly firm views there about Israel Folau, but also some terrific reflections uh, about his good mate, James Hall. Yeah, big Kevin Sanchez, they're a dynamic duo. We talk about <laughs> talk about Quaid and Will, don't we? But those two were, were right up there. So, yeah, some, some lovely words um, after some strong words, wasn't it? Very strong words. And firstly, well done to Will Genier. I, I can't imagine this being easy for any of uh, Israel Flower's teammates or really anyone playing rugby at the moment. So for a Wallabies vice-captain to come out and, and talk and jump on the phone for so long, fair play to him. And exactly right, because those guys spend so much time together, uh, you essentially, I would imagine, become like a, a family. You know, mm. you're, you're, you're living together, eating together, training together, playing together for so much of the year. Um, well, that's it. That, that, that's what hit the nail on the head with the trust element, I think, mm. and that's why it's probably, I think, so difficult for the players too. Yeah, a little insight into why he is such a good leader, I think. Will there, like, very easy just to sort of toe the party line and, and roll out some cliches, but he was, um, yeah, very honest about, uh, I guess, how Israel had hurt the game and, and, and lost, breached a bit of that trust as well within the rugby community. So, yeah, fascinating interview. And you would have to wonder whether uh, that is representative of uh, the entire uh, Wallaby team, Waratahs team, because the... There are so many different views within a team environment. Uh, does, is Will talking for everyone there or is Will talking for, for Will Genia? Yeah, absolutely. Just talking for himself, I'm, I'm sure he'd say that. Um, I, yeah, I think we've heard from a couple of people, uh, Michael Hooper, they're probably sort of on the same wavelength. But yeah, it's certainly, um, I mean, it's no secret. Um, a couple of Wallabies players, Samu Karevi, Alan Alatoa, uh, liked um, Israel's post. Um, so yeah, there's obviously each individual will have their own their own take on what's gone down. I think it's so important to spell out, and you talk to people on the streets or you're at bars or whatever, and and everyone seems to have a opinion on on what is happening here and whether or not Israel should play, whether or not people should be paying attention, or if um, you know if if you don't believe in religion, then who cares? You know, what was the prevailing view at the ballet today, Christy? You, to, for the listeners, you actually cut short your day off um, attending the ballet to, to come and record this podcast. So hats off. I didn't think oh, that was going to be brought up, but thanks for that. Um, what, what was the chat around the, the ballet? I can't say there was too much talk about that, but bringing it back to, <laughs> to a, a point that. Uh, 
all the other groups that Israel Folau had had listed, um, you don't. You You're don't, a bit rattled, aren't you? You've you, been rattled by that. Well, look, it's a serious subject, but the ballet, by the way, for the record, it's beautiful. <laughs> right. um, it was a stunning performance at the Opera House. Um, but all, all the groups that Folau had listed, you, you can essentially somewhat choose. On a Wednesday? Yeah. You're at the ballet on a Wednesday? Well, you know, the Opera House doesn't just close, does it? No. It doesn't just close anyway. Monday to Friday, Sorry, nine, nine to five. All the other groups you, you can you can choose, but but being a homosexual, being gay, and having that as your sexual preference, you don't. And and that's the the key point here. People saying that you know every Joe Blow is, is included in that in that group. Well, it, yes, they might be, but there is one section of the society yeah. that that doesn't choose that. So I, I think that's a it's an important. Um, it, thing that needs to be just spelled out as to why this is so serious and why it's so hurtful for for sections of the community, such as Nigel Owens, who, um, a very prominent uh, referee who, who's once again, who said, you know, I respect Israel and I've had great dealings with him on the field, but his comments are, are very damaging. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Will Guinea is uh, former team, I was almost going to say Will Guinea's team, but his former team, the Reds, taking on the Sharks this weekend. So two Aussie sides in South Africa as, uh, as Super Rugby continues. Um, the Sharks in Durban, I, seriously, I have to do my tips later on this afternoon, might even leave it till tomorrow morning. But how do you choose uh, a winner in South Africa at the moment? It's It's crazy. Yeah, an absolute nightmare. I think uh, Halsey uh, the other night made the point. You normally you just lean towards the home team, don't you? But that's that theory has gone out the window this year. So yeah, that South African conference. I think there's only three or four points separating top to bottom. Like the Lions are bottom of the conference, and they've got a four win, four loss record, um, and, and three time runners up. So it's yeah, very very tough. Um, but for this one, I'll, I'll let you have to lean towards the Sharks. I think the Reds um, winning over there. It's not going to be easy. They're um, a little bit under strength. They've made a couple. The changes with Sif and Ivalu coming back into the team, which will help both teams coming off a loss. The Sharks were were dusted by the Hagwades last week, and the Reds lost to the Bulls. But yeah, I think I, I will uh, will will stick to that losing halls theory of the the home team for this one. Yeah, it's frustrating watching the Reds, but clearly you, you look at their side and they're just so heavily reliant on Samu Karevi. They've just got very little attack otherwise. Um, you know, Bryce Hegarty, he's, he's trying hard, but he's not. He's played very little 10 at 10 in the last couple of years. Um, he's been injury riddled uh, and, and consistency is a big one for him. Hamish Stewart, his discipline last week was poor and um, it's you struggle seeing where the points are going to come from. And, and for the Sharks, they've got such an experienced his combination with Andre Esterhausen and Lucan Al oh, is, is there, there's some quality in that shark side as inconsistent as they have been. And uh, the Stormers back at home, which they'll appreciate after a month away in New Zealand and, and Australia, but uh, still an Australian flavour to uh, to what they've got on offer this weekend, hosting the Brumbies. Yeah, and the Brumbies, fingers crossed, will finally have David Pocock available this week. There's been a couple of false starts. Um, and, and yeah, Dan McKellar must be pulling his hair out that he just hasn't been able to get right after that pre-season setback. So uh, I think having his experience will be massive over there. It's one do, we, of the, do we know that he's definitely going to play? Cause well, no, he was he was definitely going to play last week until yeah. he, until he uh, aggravated. So I know he's gone, but um, yeah. long flight, hear, lot of yeah, travel. Did hear a whisper that, that it's it might not be a done deal, and yeah. and by the time. <laughs> By the time this gets out, this podcast, the yeah. side will probably be named and it'll be in and I'll sound like a 
full, but uh, but I did hear that it's certainly not a done deal that he, he will play this weekend. Having said that, I think uh, some of our Fox Sports Lab team dug out the very curious stat that the Brumbies win more yes. w- without him on the field. So I don't think anyone in their right mind could say they actually are a better team, but maybe there is something that because he's not there, the Brum- the rest of the players know they have to give that extra 5%, whatever it may be. But it's a, it's a quirky stat and there's quite a, a large sample size attached to it as well. So. <laughs> One thing's for certain, their back row, like their, their forward pack last week was outstanding, I thought, against the Lions. They went down to, to 14 men at one stage and, and they were beating them at the scrum. And the Lions have got a good scrum and set piece too and, and Malcolm Marks was struggling with the line out. Carter and Arnold doing very well there. And Tommy Cusack has been an outstanding addition to their side over the last year and a half. And, and of course, um, Lockie McCaffrey, who just continues to play the house down. I was just going to say about Lockie McCaffrey. Yeah. And, and at the start of the year... Uh, we were kind of like, oh, Lock- Lockie McCaffrey's going okay, and then and then you get all excited and you say, oh, you know, possibly, you know, is he a Wallaby bolter? And and uh, you know, the old heads around the place, the the likes of one Rodney Kafer, will sort of, you know, settle down, settle down. You know, you got to string a couple of months of this together before you start talking Wallabies. And what's he done? He's strung a couple of months of this together. Like he's just playing so well week in, week out. He, he's got to be under consideration. Yeah, he's got to be in the wider squads at the very least, doesn't he? Um, and it's not just not just this season, he played pretty well last year as well and, and gone to another level this year. So, yeah, and it's not like he's a young player where you, you need to be a bit more cautious and give him time. I mean, this is a, a hardened season. This is a bloke who's played in pro. England for a long while. He's, he's, yeah. he's and he, smart. Yeah, he's and he wouldn't, really smart. He wouldn't be remotely daunted by Test Rugby, wouldn't but he? You'd, 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 have, you'd have confidence that uh, he could get stuck in. So it's, it's more the physical, I think, attributes uh, around him, um, whether he's got the athletic profile that they're looking forward to complement a Pocock and Hooper. I think that's the issue rather than yeah, his, his actual com- footballing it's the, ability. It's the combination, isn't mm. it? Because you, you, you think of if you're having a tall like, you want a tall, a, a six. Top, tall six like yeah. Luke Jones or a Lucan Salakai Loto, um, can you then put McCaffrey in yeah. there potentially? But you, you certainly can't play, I don't think, Poke or Cooper and McCaffrey. You didn't mention Ned there and he's going to be filthy again. You know, I mean, for... You're off a low base anyway. He can't, he can't copy you. <laughs> Ned Heddingham we're talking about. He can't copy anyway, and you've you've he's not had given a, him he's a had a very good, he's had a very good season too. But the reality is there now are sucking up to it. There are going to be a lot of good players that miss out on this Wallaby squad. They can only pick 31, and there's going to be I reckon half a dozen players that will be desperately unlucky. Yep. So. And it's survival of the fittest, isn't it? Uh, as we've found out across the, the Dutch, uh, Damien McKenzie scrubs out with a, an ankle yeah. injury. There's going to be so many guys ruled out between now and, and then when it exactly. comes down to it. Yeah. Well, how big a blow is that for McKenzie, uh, for the All Blacks? Because McKenzie, like someone like a, a Kurtley Beal, he's not necessarily in great form. but It was a knee, was it? Yeah. yeah. He's got yeah. that versatile ability to be able to play in a number of different positions and be that super sub even if he's not starting. Yeah, absolutely. The ideal impact utility, isn't he, with, with his pace and unpredictability. So it's a massive loss in particular because the All Blacks can cover most positions fine and they'll be able to cover fullback um, no problem. But um, but 5'8", they're actually very, very thin now. Um, Bowden Barrett and Richie Mong are a, a great one-two punch. But if another one goes down, they're in deep, deep trouble. And as we were just joking, they might have to get Stephen Donald back from his white baiting expeditions and because uh, and, there's not a lot or else, else in the injured. cupboard. You can't just sign him on a quick the, six months. The, the, the guy you'd want to call up is probably Hayden Parker, but as it stands, he's not, not eligible <laughs> yeah. playing, in, playing in the Sunwolves. But he uh, he wouldn't be the worst uh, guy to have in your squad, would he? Exactly right. So, um, yeah, so just to wrap up, there's obviously, you know, the, the whole Israel Flower thing still got a lot to play out. 
his Waratahs back in action this weekend against the Rebels. So that's going to be fascinating to see how that unfolds. And uh, and the Reds and the Sharks and uh, and the Brumbies and, and the Stormers. So it's a good weekend of rugby coming up. And, and Good to actually watch some rugby after a pretty uh, torrid week of yeah. off-field headlines. Exactly right. You guys have uh, worked your butts off, so congratulations on that. And there'll be plenty Stop more it. yarns to be written over the next few weeks. Uh, Nick, how, how long is it? It's likely that uh, once they can they, they work out the selection or the panel that mm. will be sitting on Israel Folau. So that should happen in the next 48 hours. And then you've got about five, five days, days there. Five working days. Five working days. So yeah. we, we might not have a decision for some time. To me, I, all these protocols have got to go through. To me, I find that ridiculous. They can't get it done sooner. Like oh, I, I think I think we're talking five days max. Max, yeah. yeah. But it so. sounds like, I don't, yeah, it's not going to happen in a hurry by the sounds no. of it. And I just think given the urgency and the magnitude of this, I, I don't understand why they can't do it sooner, but it's, uh, that's not your fault, Nick. I'm not having a go at you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad about that, Sam. Thank you very much. Uh, gents, thanks for, uh, for your company today and uh, wherever you might be listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast, thanks for, for being a part of it and don't forget uh, on iTunes you can rate us and be nice. We'll see you soon. <laughs>